the Huey, I think, was God's gift to aviation. I think when they take the latest, greatest flying gunship in the world and put it in a boneyard in Arizona, somebody's going to fly in on a Huey and pick the crew up. You know, it's, it's the DC-3 of helicopters. Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another fun and exciting episode of the RC Roundtable. And I'm Fitz Walker, your not-so-glorious host. And joining me, the other two not-so-glorious hosts, Terry Dunn. Hello there. And... Ray. I, I'm Mr. Glorious. Was that <laughs> your glorious? wrestling name? <laughs> Mr. Glorious. <laughs> Mr. Glorious. Yes. And a big shiny cape. <laughs> yes, Lee is here. The more sequins, the better. I am in Ooh. the ring. All right. And we have even more glorious uh, special guest today. We have Greg Gimlet, uh, the columnist for Model Aviation, the Electronics. Electrics columnist, excuse me. <laughs> I gotta get it right. <laughs> I'm here. I have no sequins, no cape. <laughs> oh, well, we can wait till you get some. That's oh, our no, special that's okay. parting gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, thanks for joining us. We really look forward to uh, talking with you on this episode. Ah, glad to be here. Fantastic. All right, well, let's um, get right to it. Uh, so, you saw that Spectrum dropped a new series of transmitters this past week yes spock was, we did yes now, fascinating fascinating captain well it was like one series but small medium and large <laughs> <laughs> like mcdonald's or something. exactly <laughs> or goldilocks i saw the ad but you really saw it yes i <laughs> to my surprise i was able to get one in my my grubby hands uh this is they're called the nx series uh, people asking what does NX means, I have no idea. If you guys know, you can please chime in. It uh, means than... not accepting orders from Terry. Uh, <laughs> or Greg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they announced three radios in the series. They have the NX6 for six channel, NX8 for eight channel, and NX10 for how many channels? Maybe 10. <laughs> hey, we catch on quick. Uh, so these are uh, very interesting. They seem at the, at, you know, at the 10,000 foot level to fall in between the regular DX series and the, the new IX series that came out last year. Uh, so it was really interesting to, that they would announce this. This was a complete surprise. And uh, they seem to be pretty nice. Uh, like you mentioned, I have one that I just had for a couple of days now. And I was able to fondle a little bit. I haven't had the time to really get into, into depth with it, but... It's really interesting. Some of the biggest changes uh, that you have from the other series, other than the IX series, this is, but from the DX series at least, is a color screen now on the radios. Uh, I'm not sure how many colors it can display, but the, it is somewhat customizable, and uh, it seems to be a very clear and, and vibrant screen. Uh, also, they have integrated Wi-Fi now in the transmitter which allows you to connect up and do uh, firmware updates, register. And I was looking uh, at some information. Apparently, you can also now download their bind-and-fly setups for the different aircraft directly from 
Okay. Right. So they have profiles on the website, and you just download it right to the transmitter? Yeah, yeah. Just download it to the transmitter. You can dump okay. it into the, it has an SD card slot, just like the other ones do. And so you can just, instead of trying to, for setting up a new plane, you just download it and plug and play. Click and go, right. I guess, in this case. Did uh, they take so, lease advice? What was his advice? Remember when the IX-12 and 18 came out? He said, if they're going to have Wi-Fi and the the special photos that identify your planes, it needs to have a camera in the front, too. <laughs> they did right? not take your advice on the cameras, Lee. Damn them. You can, you know, duct tape a camera to it, but it won't do anything. Yeah. But your six channel is really a seven channel, isn't it? Is sorry? It? I think isn't, it's more like your six, six and a half. A, yeah, it's, it's a, a, some additional switch is programmable as a seventh channel or some such thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's interesting you just say that. Yeah, uh, I, I, sure. I read that too, that I think one switch can be set for safe. So it actually doesn't take a channel spot. That, that oh, maybe, okay. Uh, maybe that's it. Because, yeah, if safe does use a different channel, maybe you can assign it to a different channel. Yeah, I've always been confused about how safe works as an as a discrete channel or not, because there's some planes that uh, with safe don't, the number of channels and the features don't seem to add up for me. Yes. I've been able to do that. I've been able to take, you have a six channel receiver, but I could, if you have a seven or more channel transmitter, you can program the safe mode to the seventh channel, for example, and still Uh use it on that six channel receiver. So it seems to indicate that the encoder on the receiver has more channels than outputs. If that makes any sense. For Do you have to have a cheat code or a w- magic wand? <laughs> uh, no, you just assign it to the other channel, and then you go into bind mode, and then you do the, the joystick dance with the gimbals to assign the, to turn on the safe mode or whatever. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I, I did that just by, I just thought, because I was helping somebody to feel it. I said, I wonder if it's on a, an extra channel, and it turned out it worked. Interesting. And I've been done it several times since then. All right, well, back to these NXs. I discovered that you have one in your hands because you did some sort of live stream the other day. And yeah, I did a live You didn't pre-announce channel. it. I just happened to run across it. And I'm like, oh, there's Fitz reading a radio manual online. <laughs> Nothing but excitement on my channel. Yeah. So um, now that you've had a couple days with it, what's uh, new and exciting about it? Uh, well, fortunately, I haven't had much chance to play with it much after the, um, the live channel. Uh, other than to look up the, what the Wi-Fi is actually good for. Uh, and what was and, your consensus there? Because I've had my iX12 for a couple of years now, and mm. the Wi-Fi is, eh, it's handy, but it's not a its not a deal breaker for me. I don't need it. Yeah, it's one of the things that I mean, we've lived without it for a long time. I think it's nice if you have, if you plan on uh, doing a lot of bind and fly models, or if you don't like programming, it's great that you can download the profiles okay. and log it right on there. Um, and for updates, if you'd like to up, keep your transmitter to the newest firmware updates, it makes it nice and easy. You don't have to plug anything in. Uh, other than that, um, I, yeah, I didn't find out the that the only I, thing I've ever used mine for, I guess, was updates on the iX12. It's it's yeah. handy for that, but I've never never really downloaded any bind and fly profiles to try. I guess I just do it myself and don't think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I did discover that I really need a shorter password for my Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, you have to key it in, like with the jog wheel. Yeah, you have to key in with the jog wheel, and you know, you know, you know my head hurts. Nineteen eighty-five ditto is not a not a good password. <laughs> yeah, 
What was that password again? Uh, I, I don't remember. <laughs> All right, so it looks like it also has Bluetooth. Is that correct? Or am I making that up? No, I don't think Oh, I'm confusing Bluetooth. my symbols. Never mind. That's a USB symbol. Oh. Because, yeah. I, yeah. All right, never mind. Move on. Uh, it is neat that it has the charge jack has changed. It's now a standard USB, I think micro USB port. Uh, yeah, that's what the iX12 has as well. iX12 and 20 both have that, yeah. yeah. You know, the more I think about it, the more I kind of like that. Because uh, if you're out in the field and you need to juice up your radio, you know, odds are somebody's going to have one of these chargers in their car or whatever. But uh, are you really juicing it if you're using <laughs> just a, a two-amp charging port, USB charging port? That, that'd give you a few flights. Plug it in for a half hour, and that'd probably get you through most of the day. Well, it's, it's still using a 1S uh, battery, right? Isn't that a, a single 3.7, uh, like a 6,000 yeah. or something? Yeah, you make a good point, and that's what was very interesting about it. It uses a one-cell lithium-ion 3.7-volt battery. Now, the 6s and the 8s come with a single-cell pack. The 10 comes with a three-cell pack that are all parallel to give you 6,000 versus 2,000. Uh, okay. uh, although you can put the 6,000 in the 6 or the 8 as well as an optional thing. Okay. Hmm. So it's, I think that's the same battery that's in the iX12. I'm not sure about the 20. Hmm. So it's yeah, that uh, be sense. interesting to see how long it runs on a 2000. But uh, it is interesting they seem to be going to these single cell batteries. Now, does this have the pause mode like the IXs do as well? Or pause the sleep mode. mode? You don't have to power it off. Um, you know, because the IXs have the Android operating system, it takes a oh, minute or oh. so to actually boot up. So you don't have to shut down every time. You can just put it in a sleep mode. And then when you're ready to use it again, you pop a button and it takes it out of that. Oh, okay. So we have to be clear, this does not have the Android operating system. Okay. So the boot up is pretty quick. It's pretty much as quick as anything else that they have, okay. the regular ones. So, But it does have a digital switch instead of a, a mechanical switch as far as... What I mean by that is it's not a uh, you know single pole, single throw, turn on, turn off switch. It's a push button mm. switch that you have to hold for several seconds to turn on. Sure, there's logic tied to it. Yeah, as a logic switch, yeah. Okay. And it lights up. Uh, another interesting feature is the fold-up antenna. It has an uh -huh. antenna that folds over itself to the front of the transmitter, um, which is actually pretty nice because you can angle it now. If you're holding the transmitter at an angle, you can angle the, the antenna to be straight up and down. But you can fold it all the way over, like 180 degrees, and it folds up close to the transmitter. So if you put it in a case or something, you don't have the transmitter sticking up. But that also means you have to remember to take it out. No, well, it's pretty obvious. You can't turn it on without moving the antenna out of the way. Okay. The antenna folds over the switch, so... Oh, I get it. It's, it's nearly foolproof. I think it's a gimmick. I don't think there's anything in that thing. <laughs> we just we just like having that dongle there. So makes you feel good. <laughs> it's it's basically just to protect the on-off switch, and then it, it goes away, looking like the old antenna. I bet they got that thing on the back, and they're just laughing themselves because everybody's trying to use it and going, "My antenna broke." And by the way, guys, the same antenna that's in the six twenty and the you know receivers in that transmitter. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> So. so you're saying Andy Coons is sitting up there just laughing at us. Is that right? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know. But someday probably, they won't have that. It'll just have a little nub, right? A little, little circle or something. We'll call it the Lee a, nub. A dome. Yeah. But anyway. 
But yeah, I did see that when you, I watched your video today, Fitz, and I saw how that thing collapses. And that's, I mean, I've bent my DX9 a couple of times, so that's kind of handy. Yeah, I actually like it because even, um, it's pretty stout antenna, but trying to put it in a transmitter case or something, you've got to have a cutout for it or just to sort of kind of gets in the way a little bit. It's not critical, but it is a nice feature. I do like it. And I like that you can bend it at an angle, too. Now, is the general idea behind this to be a partner for the smart series of components that they've been pushing lately? Well, it is smart compatible. It has the telemetry and stuff. But they've also had that in their DX, some of their DXs as well. So I'm not sure. Uh, I think it does. It supports the Ford programming, I think they call it. Uh, yeah, where you can is. you well, can program the, the, the say the AS3X well the DX9 the does that too if you, does the DX9 if, I couldn't remember if it did yeah, that or not it, it does if, if you have the right receiver that does it alright I'm just trying to figure out the angle I don't know if they, if it was just time to release a new radio because it was time or if there's some gotta have feature that is I don't know the, so are the they crux. gonna get, so are they gonna discontinue the DX8 and sixes or are they going to keep them well these aren't uh, entry-level price so i, I yeah, would think they the keep other, something there yeah that, that was the other curiosity because the difference in price between the six and the eight is not that much uh and you know all things considered i would definitely go over with the eight over the six yep so i think sort of, minimum is eight channels anymore when every arf comes with flaps and retracts and safe and all yeah, that you're yeah. going to fill up six in a hurry yeah. Yeah, and I would jump in and go ten just because. Uh, well, sure. yeah. You know, what I'm doing? Go home, right? Giant scale biplane stuff. I do a channel for every aileron, and by the time you get done with dual elevators and, and four ailerons, you're filling it up. Sure. Yeah. I was just looking at the price. There wasn't much of a price difference between six and eight. You know, for yeah. an extra thirty bucks, you get uh, four more mixes, uh, sequencers, uh, more uh, servo speed adjustment so a, a bunch of extra features uh, that you don't have in the six and of course the 10 has all kinds of good even more mixes and more sequencers how much does the fitzwalker signature edition cost oh <laughs> the gold-plated one <laughs> is that the one you send to me to sign right uh, i should also note that the 10 has hall effect sensors on the gimbals the, okay. the, the six and eight doesn't apparently not i didn't see that um listed when I looked at the information. Huh, what are they doing with that data? Huh? You said Hall effect sensor. You mean it's not using resistors or potentiometers? Correct. It's, okay. It's magnetic. So you're not going to wear out the pots on this one? Yeah, there's nothing to wear out. Yeah, okay. For most part. I thought that's a huge problem, but okay. I was going to say, have you ever worn out a pot on a transmitter? No, I don't think so. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maybe yeah, if I, I've flew 3d more i'd exercise a little bit but maybe yeah. if they somebody who's just flown lots and lots every day all day or something yeah i don't know but i just thought that was interesting yeah it is interesting so. okay uh, so uh that's you know that's my quick summary of what i saw so far i haven't had a chance to bind it to an aircraft and and really right. give it a workout but so for somebody who already has a dx6 or 6 plus or whatever they call those they're not going to see a huge difference with the NX6. Uh, yeah, correct. Uh, other than, does the DX6 have telemetry? 
I don't think so. Uh, okay, so that's a big kicker there, right there. Okay. So just looking at their website on these, it appears that that's the angle they're going with it, that it's something that's more of a plug-and-play for the smart series stuff. Yeah. That, yeah. But that's just my take on this. Hmm. Lee, you've been quiet. You got any thoughts? Well, I mentioned on an episode where I'm, I love my DX9. I, I really enjoy that transmitter. I know there's some love-hate people out there on spectrum, but I think that might apply to mainly receivers or, you know, where they're putting it in their planes. But my DX9 has been pretty rock solid. And so when the IXs were coming out and I've had a couple of friends who've had issues with them, I was kind of concerned that the DX series would be discontinued and I wouldn't be able to get another DX9. So I'm glad to see this NX series. I really did like seeing some of the screenshots of the quality of the, the screen. I'm hoping that the thumb wheel is better. My DX9 is not as good as my DX8, uh, the thumb wheel. I have much better accuracy yeah. with the DX8. So I'm hoping that the, and I'm referencing Austin's DX6 because it's relatively new. It's one of those black series. His thumb wheel is really nice. So it's it's newer than my DX9. So if it's more accurate and the screen's nicer, you know, obviously it's going to hold a lot of model memories. I, I think if you charge that battery, you're good for the rest of the week, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but I would certainly, if I had issues with my DX9 or if I gave Austin my DX9, the NX10 would be my choice. Yeah. I think you're right. My DX9, I got it when they first came out, and uh, that was a great radio. My thumb wheel always gave me some trouble. I initially had a little problem with something in the circuitry that uh, – they took care of, cost me an airplane, but uh, they took care of. When the IX-12 came out, I had a little lust for the touch screen, so I got one of those right off uh, and kind of wish I'd kept my DX9 several times, except for the thumb wheel, which aggravated the power out of me. Right. <laughs> but the, So the NX-10 kind of speaks to me. Yeah, how is the wheel, Fitz? I saw you playing with it, and it looked like it was very accurate. It seems very accurate. You know, if anything, it's actually pretty sensitive. Well, did it ever feel like it would skip over? Because, like, I think that's with my DX9. It just it wouldn't feel like it would lock into place and stop. It felt like it would just kind of go a little bit further and, you know, click two. Exactly. <laughs> I'd have to play with some more. I only played it briefly, and I don't remember. Jeez, you've had it a day, Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, oh, Greg, for picking for? on him. <laughs> well, I, so yes, I'm giving a thumbs up. I'm I'm hoping I can get my hands on one, but I'm in no rush to buy the NX10 right now. I'm, I'm still going to hold on to my DX9 until Austin rips it from my hands. Yeah, but to, to go back, I don't know if you heard if you saw my comparison of the screens. The, the newer screen is really pretty nice. Yeah, that's what I meant. I, I really liked what I saw on your preview. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Well, you Texas boys don't have to deal with this at all, but I'm going to backtrack to the thumb wheel thing here for a second. But all the issues I've had with my thumb wheels or jog wheels or even touch screens on any of my transmitters, it's only in cold weather. So I don't know if that's a thing or if I just sense that it's more difficult because my fingers are numb, but <laughs> yeah. I, I never have issues <laughs> in warm weather, but I have all sorts of issues across the board in cold weather. And I even bought special gloves that have uh, finger things built in so that touchscreens will work when I'm wearing gloves. Mm. And that helps, but still, it's uh, it seems to be temperature sensitive. Or mm. I seem to be temperature sensitive. Yeah, that's why I'm a former New Yorker. 
(laughs) (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) All right. I think we have beat this to death and then kicked it around a couple more times. So uh, one more thing, though. You've got one, Fitz, but mortals cannot get their hands on one yet. When will they be available? Uh, Well, I thought the sixes were at hobby stores. Are they? I think so. I don't know about the eights and tens, but I thought they, lots, some hobby stores were able to get early access to the sixes. Okay, so the six is three oh nine ninety nine, transmitter only. Yes. What do we know about the others? Uh, uh, NX ten is four ninety nine ninety nine. Okay. Transmitter and, only. And the eight is three forty nine ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Transmitter only. Gosh. And, and I'm told possibly mid November on an NX ten, but uh, they won't commit. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. I guess it depends when the boat gets here, huh? Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really talk about the price, but I like my DX9. I did get mine secondhand because a guy bought it and he had it for a month, and then he upgraded to an IX. So I got a you know a deal of a century. I think I paid maybe less than three hundred dollars for it. So paying five hundred dollars for an upgrade to my DX9, that, that's a that's a huge sticker shock, but. I do use my DX9 a lot, so I think the NX10 would fit it completely. I just, you know, that is pretty steep. I'm hoping I get some Christmas cards this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we've received your hint. <laughs> do they make 50-cent Christmas cards? Like, I was like, I'm going to get a Patreon just to get Lee's NX10. <laughs> yeah, poor Lee. For just pennies a day, you can help a poor modeler. Likely. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. All right. On that note, while Lee goes collect some pocket change, uh, we'll take a quick break and be <laughs> right back. We have a guest today. We we are here with Mr. Greg Gimlick. And Greg is the electronics columnist for Model Aviation Magazine, and he's been around for quite a while doing various columns for various magazines. From remember, I remember seeing your name quite a bit, Greg, and in, in uh, Model Aviation and other places. And uh, I think you do periodic reviews and just and uh, also you write for Park Flyer too. Is that correct? I, I did uh, two different columns for Park Flyer over the years, and and still do some features for him now and then. Oh, wow, so you're a busy guy. How do you find time to fly? Uh, I think I do more writing than flying sometimes, but uh, <laughs> right? that's okay. Do you find that every time you go to the field, it's for a project yes. that you're writing about? Yeah, absolutely. I get that sometimes, it, too. It, uh, there are times my wife says to me, are you going to do something just for you, or is this another article? And, and 99% of the times, it's another article. And, and even when I try to do something for myself, I'm always thinking, can I get something worthwhile out of this for an article or a column or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yep, I can relate. Well, so Greg, uh, tell us about yourself. How did you get started in the hobby? Just give us a you know, quick rundown of who you are and what you want. What, what you stand what, for. What I stand for. <laughs> Freedom in the American way. There you um, go. <laughs> He's one of see. us. I, yeah. I, I started uh, modeling, you know, like, like all of us, I guess, as a kid. Uh, I was fortunate. I, I grew up uh, in my early years in North Syracuse, New York, uh, right by Hancock Field. 
and had a had a colonel up the street that used to let me hang around in his shop and watch him build RC airplanes and his radios had a thousand buttons on them and you know, it was escapements and all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, so I was building free flight and no was, USB on those transmitters, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or touch screens. <laughs> yeah, okay. I said USB. Yeah, with User a ground buttons. unit and a wire and all that sort of thing. Some of the stuff was pretty amazing to watch him do. A lot of push button stuff and letting things go and uh, nothing like we have now. But he he tolerated uh, a couple of us hanging around in his shop and, and take us up to the airfield. They had some old closed runways that they'd let those guys fly on. So. Uh, he let us hang out, and I was doing a lot of control line because at the time my dad said there was no way he was spending more on a radio than he made in a week. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we we did control line, and then uh, I got into RC, and as I, I got off into college, or I started building an RC plane, uh, then I won the lottery and uh, ended up going to Army Flight School instead. So uh, spent, spent a few quality years, you know, in the Army as a helicopter pilot and got back in there. I got into RC uh, at that point in the 70s uh, and have just stayed in it ever since. Uh, I'm a retired Army helicopter instructor. Uh, and what old retired helicopter instructors do or play with toy airplanes now. But uh <laughs> You know, I've just kind of always kept that alive and, and finally got into some RC helicopters, too, after many, many years uh, of avoiding them. But uh, so, I, you know, I've kind of done this and I started I used to do the club newsletter and I always used to send them out to a couple of columnists and that. And when one of them moved from one magazine to another, their editor called me and said, you know, uh, I'm retired army. You're retired army. Now you're going to write my column for me. So uh, <laughs> that's that an order. Gordon. Yeah. Gordon Banks back in the early, well, not in the early days, but in like 93, I think, uh, okay. for RC report, I started doing their electric column. Uh, oh. John Mountjoy and Charlie Spears had been doing it for years and Charlie died. Uh, so, John carried on, and then uh, there was another fellow there for just a short period of time before he went on to model airplane news, and then I took over. Uh, and I guess, you know, in the 27 years, I've, I've, as one of my friends says, I think you've been fired by every magazine out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't fired, but I worked for all of them, I guess, at one time or another from uh, Sailplane Electric Modeler and uh, oh, yeah. Model Airplane News several times off and on through the years, uh, you know, a lot of these commercial ventures are, are consultant driven and they'll come in and say, you got too many columns. So they drop columns. And then a year from now they call you and say, Oh, we need columns. So <laughs> yeah, there, there's this one magazine he wrote for it says electrics will never do anything. Let's get rid of Greg. Yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now look at us. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's kind of, you know, I was, I was shepherded into this thing by, uh, you know, guys like Keith Shaw and, and was lucky to become good friends with him and, and uh, Astro Bob from Astro Flight and all those guys. I, I had the, I wasn't so bright, but I knew a lot of bright guys uh, and they didn't want to do columns and my degree was in uh, English. So I ended up writing columns and talking to a lot of smart guys and uh, trying to sound smarter than I really was because of it. So uh, <laughs> that's that's where it's been. <laughs> you write good. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm cringing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it sounds like you knew the right people at the right time when electrics well, were starting to flourish. I, I was just so fortunate. Uh, a friend of mine said, you got to come up to Pennsylvania. I live in North Carolina and have, uh, you know, since the 70s, basically. And he said, you got to come up to Pennsylvania and go to this thing called KRC. That, he said, that's where we're going to learn how to do the electrics right. And I went up there my first year I met Bob Kopsky and uh, Doug Ingraham, who did all the control programming and design for Astroflight, Bob Boucher and Keith Shaw. And I don't know how I, it was a small community back then, Tom Hunt, uh, Bob Aberley. Uh, and if you showed up there, there were about 300 of us, 250 of us, I guess, in those days. Wow. Uh, which was a huge meet considering yeah, the year. But unlike the 1,000 or 2,000 we get today at some of the big meets. But uh, So you got to, to hang out, and guys would walk through the pits, and, and Keith just happened to walk by and see this modified senior cadet I had done and took a liking to it. And uh, Over the years, <laughs> he, he's mentored me and stayed at my house when he travels through, and he continues to mentor me. Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I just, it was a good time to get into electrics. It was in, in some respects easier than it is now because we didn't have all the options to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, we had Astroflight motors were the best that we could get as far as cobalt motors at the time. And uh, Maxim and Aviox were the only two uh, brushless motors that were coming on. And, and they literally, uh, Dave Palumbo from Aviox and Tom Samato at Maxim would set up a card table behind the trunk of their car at the field and try to tell us about these new motors. Right. Uh, so, you know, we've gone from that. Uh, Pat Del Castillo uh, uh, from Castle, Castle Creations, yeah. uh, he, he talked to us early on. I'm one of the brain trusts that told him, whatever you do, don't quit your job at, at Garmin and, <laughs> and start doing these stupid controllers. You'll go broke. Right. So he reminds me of that now and then that, you know, he, he, He's got a little bit more pocket change than I do. Uh, <laughs> so it, it shows where I was, you know. Right. So, yeah, that's very interesting because all those names you just rattled off are kind of a who's who in the industry today. But at one time, they were just regular enthusiasts like us who worked out ideas in their shop, in their garage, and grew it into a business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one year, uh, you know, Astro Bob came up to, to, I guess, the first year of Neat Fair mm -hmm. and, and said that he uh, saw me flying this airplane I'd done as an article. It was a conversion of, of one of the Tower Hobbies R trainers. And I'd thrown one of his Astro 15s in there on 14 cells and was flying it around. And that was, uh, we, we were, you know, in tall cotton. Then we had 1,700 SCRC cells. <laughs> and uh, you know, which was a big jump from our thousand SCRs and fourteen hundreds. So he he watched it for about two days, and he came over to me at the field, and he said, uh, "Do you mind if I take the motor out of your airplane?" I thought, "Gee, I you know why?" <laughs> and he said, "I just want to take it back to my motel tonight and tear it down and look at it because he said you're pushing this thing way too hard." So I said, well, okay. so he did. He pulled the motor out of the airplane, went back to his motel. The next day he came back, and it was all reassembled. I bolted it back in and was flying it. He said, you know, I build one hell of a product. 
because I was pushing it way beyond what their, their manufacturer specs were. And, and he said when he pulled it down, he said the inside was just beautiful. There showed some brush wear, but other than that, it was just he couldn't believe the armature wasn't burned up or anything. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the kind of stuff we ran into in those days. You know, the guys, it was a small community, and, and they were still, I mean, here he was designing and building this stuff, and he was still learning about his own uh, products. Wow, <laughs> that's funny. So. So for those who don't know who Keith Shaw is, he, I think he's considered the grandfather of uh, modern electric flight. He came up with the uh, watts per pound right. uh, general formulation. And if you haven't read about that stuff, I think his articles are still available on maybe electric flight only. Uh, somebody yeah, sees them. Yeah, Ken Meyer's site, if you go out to electric flight only, I think Ken has got just about all the key stuff uh, digitized now that, that you can download. Yeah, this is Watt Flyer, right? Yes. No, no, that, no, no. That's uh, Electric Flyers only. It's uh, the Ampere newsletter. That's it, Ampere. That's it. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link up on the with the episode, but yeah, yeah. A lot of that legacy stuff is still out there that you can read, and it's funny how much of it still applies today because the power loading stuff ignores efficiency of the system, and in general, systems have gotten much more efficient now than they used to be. But generally speaking, the same uh, numbers give you the same performance you would expect. I think because our definitions of what sport flying and what aerobatic flying have grown along with the efficiency. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm doing this Balsa USA Bristol now, and I did one 25 years ago. And at the time I used a Maxim motor, it was pretty new and uh, like, 21 cells. I think I flew it on and all that. And I was targeting, uh, you know, 50, 60 watts a pound for that airplane and flew beautifully. In fact, it was featured in a couple of the, the KRC videos and flew it for years before I dumb thumbed it. And, uh, and of course now I'm doing one and it's going to be the you know, same kit, but it's a success. And, you know, I can fly it for 18 minutes instead of the, you know, the seven or eight minutes I might've been able to nurse out of the old one, but it's so much easier now. And it's easier, and yet it's harder because all of a sudden I had all these power options. And, right. and you know, if I were to say now I'm going to build this plane, this this scale World War One plane, and I'm targeting you know 60 watts a pound, people would just laugh and say you can't do that. Because <laughs> now you know if you're less than 100 watts, you just aren't. Right. <laughs> so, do you dabble in wet fuel at all? Um. No, I did a. I did a review of one with a 15cc gas engine about a year or two ago. And that's the first time I'd touched anything that was wet in, in several years. And uh, I did it just to kind of refresh my memory and see what I thought. And it was neat. It flew great uh, and reaffirmed my love of electrics all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it was, the engine was marvelous. It, it really was a wonderful little uh, Evolution 15cc engine. It, it, it ran like a clock. Uh, flew, the, flew the airplane beautifully. It was a Hellcat and a Hangar 9 Hellcat. Uh, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful oh, yeah. little engine. I just I just don't enjoy messing with the, the engines anymore. I have the electric version of that same plane. I electrified mine. <laughs> yeah, it's a very nice flying model. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, did you have a question, Fitz? 
Well, I just was kind of pondering. It's interesting because we, uh, Greg, uh, we often on a show talk about the early days of electrics and how things have changed and how even back way back then it was actually really fun to try to work out the logistics of getting uh, underpowered and overweight electric plane to fly mm-hmm. uh, versus the, the plug and play nowadays where it's really, you don't have to do any thinking. You just mm-hmm. pull a couple things off the shelf and you've got something that can go vertical indefinitely. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. For- and my goal when I went to KRC is we were trying to get airplanes that would give us four minutes of solid aerobatics. That was our goal. Four minutes. Wow. And- <laughs> yeah wow that was a tough thing back then yeah four minutes that was yeah, it was you know and, and we were flying electric streaks uh with seven cells and that fai 05 astro and oh yeah yeah you, know, you had an on off switch uh with a servo <laughs> you didn't have a speed control in that at that point so it was kind of amazing when you threw the switch that fai motor and then dave greif showed up uh one year with a 10 cell and a, and a 15 direct drive, I think it was, on 10 cells, and nobody could believe it. He was flying several minutes of aerobatics, and I mean, we were just shocked. Right. Uh, we started that? talking about voltage over amps, you know, and that kind of right. stuff. Right. Yeah, they called it the uh, seven-cell trap for a while because everybody yep. had yep. the chargers that were made for RC cars, which were in six or seven cells. And yep. so it, it took a while for time. people to realize it was beneficial to go above that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, and the we other part was you had Keith Shaw flying a couple of his big birds with 36 uh, sub-C cells in it. Wow. And they were really limited. I mean, there was a, a oh, some, shoot, the UL uh, ratings on things. Apparently, uh, the early manufacturers of speed controls and stuff were kind of caught in that trap that they had to keep the voltage down so they didn't fall under UL's uh, guidelines oh, yeah. or something at the time. Yeah, I think it was like 50 volts around 50 there. volts, yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you, you reminded me of something I read about Keyshaw, that uh, he was at an event, and he had some sort of challenge or competition where how low a throttle could he keep a plane in the air? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this was a long time ago. So I've was, seen him do some interesting things. Apparently, they were all amazed at how low a throttle he was, like, just barely above idle, but he was yet still able to fly a plane, electric plane, uh, just to get the most efficient run out of it. Yeah. It's funny. His papers talk about uh, pitch speed compared to stall speed and stuff like that. When you look at it, you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I never really thought about that. But, yeah, when you think about how we choose propellers, he simplifies it, and it makes a lot of sense. It's a good read. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a real knack. I mean, he's, you know, he's a physicist. Well, he's retired now, but he was a physicist for University of Michigan. And he was a uh, research scientist for them in, in the nuclear side of the testing industry. Yeah, he's a uh, PhD, I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And he can, but he can break stuff down uh, and explain it to you without making you feel like an idiot and, uh, and, and, and make it simple. Uh, and when he writes his stuff, uh, it's the same way. He doesn't like to write, and he doesn't want to do articles. So, <laughs> you know, if you can get him to do one, they're just incredible. Uh, yeah. But he just doesn't like doing it. He'd rather sit down, talk to you over an airplane in the pit, and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
All right. Well, I have a question for Greg, but Lee has been strangely silent. So he's either had a, a heart attack or he's going to ask something now. <laughs> what is your favorite color? <laughs> oh, I, I have been listening. I've been attentive, as hopefully our, our listeners have been, because this is very interesting. And you're right. He has been around a lot of big names in the electric industry. And, you know, that's just really cool. I would have liked to have been to one of those events in Pennsylvania. Well, yeah, it's those that you know, uh, there are three of us who have been going to electric meets together, and we live various parts of the country. But Jim Ryan and John Kalk and myself, and we've known each other for thirty years, I guess, and uh, did all the KRCs and neat fairs and in Mid Americas and those over the years. And we often talk about, you know, it's one thing you get old and jaded, I guess, but those were magic years for us. Uh, it just everything was new and exciting and it was just it was just kind of magical we were we were kind of on the fringe it seemed people thought we were all crazy but, uh, but it was <laughs> were they wrong no yeah <laughs> well i'm going to twist your arm somehow and maybe get you up to the neat fair next year uh, i'd like to i i used to go up every year for you know i still had family members up there and i'm the last of the family left and uh, so my excuse to go up there and then play with airplanes at the same time kind of went away over the years. <laughs> yeah. I would like to get back up. Uh, you could adopt. You could adopt Terry and then have another excuse to go up to the <laughs> Just when I need more kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, speaking of the neat fair and speaking of electro streaks, uh, this past neat fair, somebody let me fly their electro streak. That was it was a vintage kit, but they had upgraded it with brushless and uh, lipo, and that's one of those old kits that accepts it really well. You don't have to do anything crazy to fit that new gear in, and it still balances well. And right. it's just the change in power from a Can O five motor with seven cells to <laughs> a brushless system is just incredible. So, yeah, oh, I had a lot of fun flying that. Well, it's like you know, Jim Ryan designed his whole set of Speed four hundred Warbirds around a six volt. Uh, speed 400 motor yeah. running on seven cells mm -hmm. and it was funny when the little when the brushless came out I mean he's shut down his kit line but he still sells the accessories and plans and all that and he says it was funny because all of a sudden everybody wanted to start building again but nobody wanted to use a speed 400 motor right. so they wanted to know brushless upgrades and half of his fleet was still flying on on speed 400 so uh, he ended up, you know, upgrading to a bunch of them to try to, so he could tell guys, you know, yeah, I use this motor and these, this lipo pack and all that. So uh, it, it was funny because they just flew great. And, and Jim said, why would you want to change it? They fly great the way they are. It's cheap. But, right. you know, you have to go with the times. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to get my hands on one of his old kits or plans uh, or something like that. Yeah. Well, he's he's got plans uh, for all of them. His website is still up. He's still taking orders and uh, – yeah. Uh, like he sold the rights to Gordon Tarling over in Great Britain, uh, sells the, the parts and the plans and that over there. Okay. Jim, Jim just did a whole bunch of canopies about a week or so ago. He sent me a picture of all these canopies he had done because during the COVID thing, people are building again. Right. And that's they, what we're hearing. He's yeah. selling plans like crazy. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I need to reach out to Jim and pick out. Yeah. I, I've always had a fondness for his Bearcat. But oh. the, the Wildcat speaks to me, too. <laughs> yep, yep. I did. I reviewed the Hellcat when it first came out for uh, RC Report, and I've done several of them. In fact, I've got a Bearcat he keeps picking on me about. I framed it up 
prior to a move 15 years ago, 18 years ago, and it's still sitting there. It's almost, it's basically ready to cover, and it's still <laughs> sitting there. So, Oh, well, we're going to shame you into finishing that. Yeah, yeah what are you talking to us for? <laughs> <laughs> we're just a podcast. Get back to building. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't know if you remember, Terry Lee, but uh, Jim Ryan was up at the that E-Fest. Yep. Uh, I've talked to him at a few different events. Yeah. He's a neat fella. Yeah, he was so nice. I spoke to him, too, for a little while. Because um, at the time, he he was also still... I told him I had liked... He had made a P-38, too, if I remember correctly. Yep. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. that was kind of neat. Twins He's still flying the original one. Yeah. He's still flying the original one? Wow. Yep. Yep. Because uh, he made... He had just... Uh, um, had an article, I think it was in Man, about the um, Sikorsky... No, Lockheed um, a Compound Helicopter. Was the, the Cheyenne? The Cheyenne, oh, the Cheyenne. yes. Yes, yeah. he made an RC version of it. And so yes. I was talking, asking him some questions about it, and we were talking about 3D printing, which was you know really still kind of very new at the time. Um, and he was curious about my uh, gyrocopter, which had 3D printed parts on it. Hmm. Uh, so it was a real, uh, really interesting guy to talk to. So, yeah, he's, he, he's a sharp guy and, and does a lot of fabrication of parts and stuff. The Cheyenne is incredible, and when he... When he kicks in that uh, that thrusting tail rotor, uh, it's it's like somebody lit a fire under the rear end. Oh, so you see the fly? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he's flown oh, cool. it a lot. Oh wow, yep, that's neat. Neat, neat. Right. Well, speaking yeah. of rotary wings, I wanted to ask you about your experience with full scale helicopters. That's already read my mind. <laughs> well. <laughs> If it, if it counts for anything, I made a trip, a sojourn back to what we call Mother Rucker. Uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama is where we all came from uh-huh. in the aviation world. And they built a new museum, and I'd never been there. Uh, so a few years ago, my wife and I made a trip down there, went to the new museum, and I came out, and she said, well, you know, what would you think? And I said, well, I don't know what to think when everything you flew is hanging from the ceiling of a museum. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that tells you. But uh, I was fortunate. I had a good career, and I, and I started off in a unit uh, flying OH-58s and, and UH-1s, uh, and I retired right? from an Apache battalion. So, you know, I kind of ran the gamut from one end to the other. Wow, uh, yeah, those are all different types. The 58's yeah. a Kiowa, right? That's the uh, yes. Scout? Yeah. yeah. Scout, yeah. I was, I was primarily a loach driver. Uh, and, you know, in the gun battalions, they say you mark the target with the burning loach. Uh, the scout drivers, <laughs> oh. you know. Go out so and you find the targets and get shot down, and then the guns come in and shoot towards where we crashed. So, uh, so yeah, you mentioned your um, your number came up. So you were in service in in Vietnam, I take it. I did not go to Vietnam. Uh, uh-huh. No, I you know of the of the poor decisions one makes in life. I my draft number was nine. Uh, I was in college. They'd done away with student deferment, so I was one A. And I knew I was going to get drafted, so I just ran down to the recruiter, and the guy said, ooh, college boy, you know, we need helicopter pilots. <laughs> and he said, you like helicopters? And I said, I don't know. I've never been around one, you know. So took the test, went, uh, did my thing, and enlisted, and uh, went from basic straight to flight school. Wow. So while I'm, I'm, you know, heading off to basic training, they ended the draft. Oh, no. Uh, mine was the first group of numbers they never called any from, so I, I wouldn't have gone in. <laughs> but uh, by that time, the, the die was cast, and, uh, and I, you know, it fortunate. I didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up anyway, so that was an excuse not to grow up for a lot of years. 
I always thought that if I had a, you know, second life, that being a helicopter pilot would be really high on the list of careers, especially like for med- med- medevac, medical. Medevac, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was it was a lot of fun. I've, I got to fly a lot of things. I flew everything from what we called ash and trash, which is just, you know, being a taxi driver to, uh, you know, assault helicopter units. Uh, I flew rescue. I flew drug interdiction. Uh, got to fly some senators, a congressman, a vice president who became a president. Uh, it, so it was, you know, I, I got to fly a lot of different types of missions and I got to fly with a lot of great people. Uh, so, gave me an appreciation. So I have to ask, what is your your favorite machine you've flown and your least favorite that you've flown? Oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> Which one should have never been built? <laughs> oh, I can't say I ever flew one that never should have been built. Uh, I, I liked them all. I think the Huey, I think, was God's gift to aviation. I think when they take the latest, greatest flying gunship in the world and put it in a boneyard in Arizona, somebody's going to fly in on a Huey and pick the crew up. <laughs> you know, it's it's the dc3 of helicopters yeah uh, yeah so the huey was wonderful and it, it was at a, at a good time in my career i flew uh i think oh6 is probably my favorite of the scout helicopters uh uh, uh hughes 500 okay uh, oh, okay yeah 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 i heard those are fun egg. to fly yeah, yeah, and and you could always tell a six driver because their left thigh is huge. Because, uh, <laughs> it took so much left pedal all the time when you were under power. Oh, oh. <laughs> you kick so, over a brick wall uh, with your left foot. But I, I flew a lot of uh, uh, Bell forty sevens. Uh, it was OH thirteen in the army. Uh, oh, that's the Mash helicopter. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mash, and that's. If if you if you only ever get to fly in one helicopter, that's probably the one to go flying in, because the visibility is great. It's just pure raw, plain, non fancy helicopter flying. Bell cranks and nuts and bolts. And... That's right. There, you know, there's no hydraulic assist. There's nothing there. It's just loud. And pistons. And, <laughs> yep, yep. Pistons and and no governors. You know, you're you're all manual throttle stuff. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to fly though. They're a wonderful helicopter. Uh, and, you know, technologically, the Apache was the most phenomenal machine I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, uh, wasn't rated in the in the Apache. I got to fly in one a few times. Uh, then uh, I got to fly in there. You know, they've got a full motion visual simulator. Uh, and I'd been retired for you know, a lot of years. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> and and a kid that used to work for me as an aerial observer, as a, he was a E5 is now the is the colonel who's in charge of a helicopter battalion. So I went out to visit him one day, and he said, "You know, I just got called to a meeting. I hate, you know, we're not going to get to catch up, but I got something lined up for you." And he stuck me in a in this flight simulator, which you know civilians just don't walk in and get in. And he put me with an instructor pilot in there, and I hadn't been in one in 20 years. And uh, we just had the best time. Flew for four hours. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Wow. How many quarters does it take for that machine? Uh, <laughs> uh, it, my retirement check wouldn't have covered it. <laughs> right. But so did you ever, in all your time flying helicopters, did you ever have a mandatory auto rotation? 
I, the only engine failure I ever had was in a Huey, and I was about three feet off the ground hovering down a taxiway at, at an Army airfield when it quit. Well, that's uh, where you want to be. Yeah, well, yeah. By the time you know, I was sitting on the ground going, "What the heck just happened?" <laughs> so, uh, we used to. I was fortunate because when I first became an instructor pilot, we were still teaching full touchdown auto rotations on a daily basis. And years wow. later, they took those out of the training curriculum because they said statistically we were damaging more helicopters training how to do it than actual failures because they just didn't happen. So. Uh, they, you see them in flight school, and once you leave flight school, that's it. Uh, you do power recoveries, which in my mind was always harder. We had guys over torquing airplanes and doing stuff like that. But uh, So, yeah, we, we did a lot of – my favorite maneuver was a 180 auto. You'd fly down, you'd pick out your landing area, kill the throttle, and then do a 180 back to it and hit the LZ. It was, it was very precision maneuver, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't have any full-scale helicopter experience or military experience, but I lead, read a lot of aviation and military history. And one of my favorite books ever since I was a kid, I was a kid, was uh, Chicken Hawk. And it, <laughs> it, are you familiar with it? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know why. It just really spoke to me. And it's about a guy who joined the Army in, I think, 65, before Vietnam got really heavy, learned mm -hmm. to fly at Fort Rucker, and then went was there at LZ X-Ray, then mm -hmm. came back and trained people at Fort Rucker. And I don't know, just the story always uh, struck a chord with me, and I found it really interesting. And it made me have a much greater respect for the helicopter pilots than I ever did before. So yeah. I've got one of those books here now. It's a fun book. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun book. He embellished a lot. Uh I, I never met him. Uh, a couple of guys that I flew with uh, were in Vietnam with him and knew him. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and they, they used to laugh and say, yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, use a little editorial license there, but it, it's all based <laughs> on true stuff. Uh, right. If you want to read a really good book, uh, there's a book called Low Level Hell, and it's by Hugh Mills. Uh, and that's probably the best combat helicopter book I've read. He was a scout driver in Vietnam. And it's probably the most realistic, least embellished book. And yet it's a, you can't put it down once you start it. Huh. I will check that out. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. Now I stumbled across a book one day that was Chicken Hawk 2. Mm -hmm. and it dealt with Robert Mason's life after Vietnam and after he left the army and it had nothing, to, very little to do with helicopters. Um, but it was very interesting still. And I've never been able to find another copy of it. I read it and then gave it to my dad and then he let somebody borrow it and it disappeared. But I'll yeah. look. I don't know whether I've got that over here or not. I've got the first one. I don't remember, uh, yeah, I'm, he had a, a bit of a rough go after he got out of the military. He got involved with some things he wished he hadn't and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, he had a very interesting and diverse life after Vietnam. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of those guys, uh, I mean, that's kind of my peer group, and, and a lot of those guys came back and had a tough time adjusting to flying within regulations. <laughs> uh, so it's different, and if you've ever flown in a combat zone or something or anything like that, uh, it is. It's, you kind of get used to a different world, and then you come back to the FAA world of rules, and it's, right. it's tough. 
Yeah. <laughs> what? We can't chop the tops off of trees with our helicopter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I got out of the Army once. I decided I'd had enough of it, and I went down, and I flew for PHI down the Gulf of Mexico for the oil companies and that, and then uh, and flew there for a little while. Uh, and that was that was an interesting experience, and then uh, ended up getting a recall back to the Army. They were looking for some people with some certain skill sets and qualifications, so... I went back in, and at that point, I decided I'd stay till I was an old man. But uh, it turns out they don't use old men. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so eventually, I had to go. Yeah, their definition was different than yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, uh, I guess getting back to models, um, is there any big projects you're working on now for for yourself? Or? Uh, yeah, cleaning my shop. Um, <laughs> I know exactly how that feels. You know, as, as, as time goes on and you look around and go, I don't need 53 flyable airplanes and helicopters. And yes, what? Blast <laughs> yes, It becomes an obsession and, and turns out that you spend all your time trying to maintain these things instead of playing with them. Uh, and now that with the future coming up in December uh, with my formal retirement, uh, and Terry's taking over. Uh, I'm I'm weeding through a lot of stuff and saying, do I need this? Do I need that? I want to have stuff I'm just going to play with. And this is here because you know I've taken it apart 12 times for photos for various articles, and <laughs> that's the only reason it's still here. And so uh, you know I'm doing a lot of that. I'm building this Bristol, uh, probably the world's slowest building project. The way I'm going, but. It's because there's no deadline attached, so I work on it when I feel like it. I don't know, uh, Lee could probably give you a run for his money. <laughs> got, how got long, long did that term? Cessna take, Lee? It's okay. <laughs> okay. He'll get there. Well. <laughs> so, so do you have like a big Hail Mary project you're planning in your retirement? Uh, the Uber well, plane or yeah, something? No, the biggest thing my plan for retirement is if we can get rid of this COVID business, my wife and I are going to load the RV and head out for a few months. Ah. Uh, and I'll drag some airplanes along. I always do. But uh, that's no no giant building things. Uh, I'm looking at some kits laying around that, you know, have been sitting here for 20 years waiting to be dealt with. And I'm going to try to maybe I'm going to build or get rid of them. One, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's it's a, it's. I'm learning how not to be in the business, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like you're a balsa slash scale guy. Yeah, for the most part. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I lean. I always keep uh, a couple of trainers in trainer helicopters and trainer fixed wing. Uh just because I guess that's my instructor background. I, I think everybody should have a trainer of some sort uh, to get your thumbs back when you do something stupid. Uh, just to remind yourself that, you know, we get a lot of guys that can do a lot of twisting about in the air and do some tremendous stuff, but they can't land an airplane. <laughs> uh, it drives me nuts. So Landing I, is well, boring. Yeah, skill. yeah. So I do a lot of circuits and bumps uh, to keep right. my hand in that. Uh, that's a good idea. Because I just think that's important. What's your um, helicopter of choice that you like to fly? Uh, in the RC world? Yeah, RC. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, probably the T-Rex 600. Oh, okay. And 
and on the smaller end, I love the 230S, the little blade 230S. Mm. I think that uh, I've got a day and night version. Uh, I almost prefer to fly them at night because I can see them better for some reason with all the LEDs on them. Uh, so the 230S to me is just the consummate. It's inexpensive. Parts are available. Hopefully blade doesn't you know, get rid of it. I think they're up to version 3 or 4 now. Yeah. And they're backwards compatible for the most part. Yeah, for the most part, uh, okay. it, you can you can really take an early version and upgrade it, and and they all set up the same, fly the same. So hmm, my wife won't let me fly them near the house anymore because I messed up last year and I crashed into the vinyl soffits and did about five hundred dollars worth of damage <laughs> to oh my the house. Goodness. That's a lot of so, vinyl. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's amazing when you start chopping vinyl with rotor blades how much of it you can go through in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed. Yeah. Carbon blades Good. are stronger than vinyl. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> For a minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, all these talk about uh, events like the KRC, which I uh, wish I really could have seen that. Uh, we've we've had our bunch of events here locally, and uh, I just got back from the Build and Fly event that was held uh, right outside of San Antonio here in Texas. Uh, Greg, there's a neat event that we had here locally called the Build and Fly. I don't know if you had anything like up in your area, where the only planes there are something that you built, a balsa kit, uh, no foamies, no arfs. Oh, I thought that uh, foamies were still valid as long as you built it. Uh, I didn't see any foamies there, so maybe there's a, a spirit of law thing uh, that allows foamies. But I imagine if you had like a built-up plane with a foam core wing or something. Okay. Uh, well, no, there was uh, one foamy. Uh, it was a it looked like something somebody would have put together. Huh. It was like a GB-looking thing that was sort of semi. Flat plate, semi built up. Okay. I had never seen it before. You know, we've got several scratch built foamies among us. I can't yeah. imagine they'd you know, send us packing yeah. that. So I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, ideally you could, if you built a foamy from scratch, you could fly it there. Uh, that's the only one I saw. So I think most of the stuff was um, regular balsa wood, plywood, maybe some composite stuff. But uh, it was a neat event. It was actually pretty well attended for being such a specialized event. And uh, our our friend um, uh, was it George Lee? George yep. George Wilson. George Wilson. There was was uh, I guess he's partly running it and was helping out. It was nice to meet him. He had his javelin from Old School Model Works, and I had my javelin, and so we took a couple pictures of them together as well. Yeah, he posted a photo of your javelins next to each other on oh, okay. Facebook today, and uh -huh. he spilled the beans that neither one of you flew. Yes, I had a problem with my javelin. <laughs> it happens to all of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> edit, edit, edit. <laughs> no, that's just Terry. <laughs> yeah. That's just Terry being Terry. So I, was, I had taken a javelin out, and it was all charged up, and uh, George was there. He wanted to see me fly it. I was like, yeah, I want to fly the sucker. And I plug it up, and the right aileron was way out of trim. I'm like, well, that's odd. It was working, but it's just way out. I said, huh. And after a few moments of just playing around with it, wiggling it, it suddenly popped itself back into trim. And scary. then it popped itself out of trim. Like, wait, what? 
It'll get and better I, in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually popped it, popped the clevis off and kind of readjusted it and played with it a little bit. And then it popped itself out of trim again. It's like, okay, something's wrong with that servo. So I nixed any flight with it. that Because it was moving way pretty significantly out of center. <laughs> and what so. you didn't see was George messing with the transit. <laughs> <laughs> you just so, tape that aileron and use the other one. Yeah, you don't so need unfortunately. Two. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I've flown a plane with one aileron. So it yeah, same here. I built a plane with one aileron. Yeah. So I accidentally flew one with one aileron. <laughs> That's probably not a bad idea. Probably would have done it if I thought of it at the time. So was uh, that servo scavenged from another plane, or was this the first? Uh, I don't remember. Um, I do think it was something I had laying around, and I just had a couple uh, of them. Oh, so, a swap shop special. Shady Genesis. Yeah. Uh, I think it was new old stock or something like that. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to have to take it out and just swap them out with something else, unfortunately, because I'm really looking forward to flying. And it was uh, the the field is really nice, nice cut grass. It's right next to a lake, so. Um, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> that reminds me of another thing I read about. But you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a good mix of aircraft. Uh, I did. I brought out my uh, Beaver from the Mustache Model Works, the one I did the review on. Yep. Uh, I got one flight out of it, and then I had to. Something happened. Um, uh, one of the struts popped off on me again for some reason. Isn't and that a recurring problem? Yeah, I had the the we got the tubing on it, so I wouldn't do that. Did it anyways. I don't think I put it on all the way. It's probably what happened. And I landed okay, and then I found another problem that I would need to take. Oh, oh, one of the weights in the nose popped off, broke off the mount, and it was kind of rolling around in the cowl, and. I didn't feel like taking a cowl off and a prop. And it was, it's going to be some work a little bit to get it back to right. So I only flew it once and put it up. Remember uh, when Greg was talking about maintaining your 50 airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a problem. Because I had a, fortunately I brought three planes. And then my third one was an old um, fan trainer that was in model airplane news. Uh, a kit that was designed by Paul Wollenberg some many moons ago. And I hadn't flown it in quite a while. And... Speaking of maintaining, when I pulled it off the ceiling, all the controls were really stiff, so I had to throw some uh, graphite, powdered graphite, into the control rods to kind of loosen things up again. And it, I took off. I think it'll do a ground takeoff. It has no landing gear, but it was, we'll do a ground takeoff. And uh, I was way out of trim when I got it up. The aileron just, I ran out of trim, so I had to land it, tweak it a little bit, and then I ended up flying it several times the rest of the day because it was the only plane I had that was actually flying. Is that glow or electric? Electric. It was okay. it was designed for 049 in the shroud, mm-hmm. uh, but I put an electric motor in it, uh, and it flies just great. It's actually a really nice flying little little plane. Uh, so, anyways, um, we mentioned the lake, and you know you're a little nervous flying around the lake, and apparently there's good reason because we lost two planes got splashed in the lake. Oh no! Yeah, one guy. Uh, hit fairly close to shore, but he hit the lake and they, they had a trolling canoe, canoe with an engine on it mm-hmm. to go out and grab the planes. And then you saw that really, really big brave, kind of like a... Oh, pawn- the Pawnee brave? The Pawnee, yeah. yeah. That thing was a monster. That thing was huge. Um, and it took off. Uh, the takeoff was a little long. I think it probably could use a little more power, uh, which is not a problem anymore. Uh, but once it was on step, it flew on really nice. And then he, I, I saw them 
saying something. The two gentlemen uh, weren't speaking English when they were talking to each other, so I couldn't quite tell what was going on, but something was up. And then one guy hands a transmitter to the other guy, and the plane kind of goes up, stalls. That's universal language. Universal language. <laughs> <laughs> <Or> take it. <laughs> um, and it, it stalled, spinned into the lake. Oh, Pretty, it wasn't an equipment failure? You, it, he says that he lost radio contact, so... Oh, okay. He probably lost it while in a climb, and then it stalled, spinned um, due to radio lockout. And it was pretty far away when it hit the water. First of all, it made a pretty solid thud when it hit the water, because and um, it was pretty far away. And they had to go get the trolling boat, and they ended up getting it, but they lost the engine. The engine broke off, and it's at the bottom of the lake somewhere. Uh, so it was real. And, and Lee can account for this. It's a big plane. It's been to Bomber Field. And uh, I think they've had it for about nine years, I think he said. he's he, They've had it for a while, so they've gotten some quite a bit of flights out of it, but still. I've, I've got a set of photos and a video from Bomber of that yeah. plane, and it flies nice and low and slow. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, one year, I think I photographed my... My Hangar 9 Piper Pawnee next to it, and it's just <laughs> a <little> baby pony. <laughs> ginormous. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm a little drone next to it. Yeah, this, yours is an 80 inch, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it fits under one wing. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. This Pawnee is, you know, Top Gun uh, uh, qualifiable. I mean, it was really scale. It had working rudder pedals inside and a control yoke and throttle quadrant. You open a cowl, and it looked like. The, the, the engine mount looked like a real engine mount, except, you know. Except, <laughs> except for, the, for those lead weights. Except for the lead weights, yeah. It got these <laughs> giant disc lead weights on it. And it had to work. It was really, it had a, a simulated sprayer on the bottom. It was really, really well done. It's really sad to see it go in. Yeah, it's a uh, shame. He also had a really interesting trainer plane that it was just his own design, equally big. And it had full span flaps and it had spoilers for ailerons. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it flew, we flew it once or twice, and it flew really nice and seemed to do just fine. Uh, but it was interesting that he chose to use spoilerons on that. Uh, was, oh, okay. Were they on just panels in the middle of the top of the wing? They were near the wing tips. Okay. But yeah, but they were sort okay. of. Middle cord wise? Uh, roughly middle, a little bit past the cord. Okay. No, it was, it was behind, it was it behind was, the, the spar. It was behind the spar, yeah. Well, okay. A little more than it was normal, but, but it seemed to fly just fine that way. But they didn't have split flaps. I guess that's where I was going with it. Split flaps. No, where no, the no. Bottom were, surface. Okay. No, no. Yeah, they were regular plane flaps, maybe slightly offset. Did you not see his video, Terry? I don't remember that part. Fitz did a nice live video. No one's mentioned it yet, but I will oh, go look right. on our Facebook page. Fitz did a nice live session, and you'll get to see the incredible Pawnee Brave. Oh, you know, oh, all the- yeah. Oh, speaking of the Brave, I forgot one thing that was that was funny. Not if we think about it after. So after it crashed and they were pulling the pieces back, um, after about ten fifteen minutes, the police showed up. Oh, they thought it was a full-scale crash? Somebody called it in, and they thought a full-scale plane crashed into the lake. (laughs) You saved the best for last. (laughs) Wow. Well, it is big. It was big, and it made a thud, and it uh, certainly would look real. So, yeah, it was. (laughs) The police came up, and they they were real nice about it, as far as I can tell. They were just talking to us and stuff. But, yeah, somebody called it in. Uh, It wasn't one of us, of course, but... 
Uh, oh, wow. oh, oh, two more things. Um, uh, they had an interesting thing in that each time you flew, they gave you a ticket. And that ticket was good for the raffle. So the more you flew, the more chances you had of winning something. So at the end of the day, they were raffling off a whole bunch of prizes. That is a fantastic idea. Yeah. It, except for the people. fact we're terribly disappointed in you, Fitz, not trying to fix your beaver. Trying to get it back up in the air. I flew other planes. You well, know, <laughs> you could have had so many more tickets if you had just used yeah. a little more imagination. Yeah, I flew a bunch of times with the fan trainer. So right. I still I want a bunch of stuff. I want a little some uh, random things. Did Servos? I, uh, did I get a servo? No, somebody else got the servo. I get a servo tester and a battery w- warning thing and a little mini voltmeter looking thing. Uh, uh, so that, that was a neat idea. I don't recall ever seeing that done before. So it's, it probably wouldn't be practical at a really big event, but a, a nice medium to small event, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, I guess you have to have somebody who's there handing out the tickets, but yeah, it's yeah. a very clever idea. They had one guy who's, who just all day had a roll around his arm, and just whenever he flew, he'd hunt you down and give you a ticket. Ah, cool. So it encouraged, a lot of people were flying, so it encouraged people to fly. Uh, one guy had a, a plane. It turns out there was a guy I met who lives like the next town over uh, that I had never met before. And uh, he had a really small plane with an Enya 049 on it. And you know, what? Enya made 049s. Yeah. yeah. He says his wife bought it for him many years ago in Japan. Oh. And it never meant something that wasn't over into the States. So. Uh, so, and I got one other thing. I met up with a gentleman who uh, makes fuel tanks, gas fuel tanks for okay. aircraft. And his name is Jason Duncall. Yeah, yeah. You heard of him? Sure. He's a well-known aerobatic pilot. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was wearing a shirt that seemed to indicate that he was a sponsored pilot or something. Um, so anyways, I had a nice conversation with him. And uh, he made a very generous offer. His company is... Uh, um, I can remember. Somehow I feel like you're not holding up your end of the bargain here. Because <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Uh, Duncall Designs. Uh, so he makes these tanks and he's offered a free tank to one of our listeners. And so we will have a, a kind of like we did before with Lee did. Somebody emails us. And we will pick a random person, and they'll get a tank of their choice from 42RC. All right. So is there a hitch in that? Like, do they have to, I don't know, send a picture of their workshop or tell us a funny joke? Um, I don't know. What do we think? No, just, I think we just put it in the subject line. What do you want it to be? What's the, what's the website again? Let's do a better job of, you know, sponsoring, <laughs> letting them know who our sponsor is. Uh, well, the website is 42RC. F-O-U-R. F-O-U-R-T-I-T-U-D-E-R-C.com. Uh, you can take a look. Uh, this is, we'll have to limit it to continental U.S., I believe. Um, unless you want to pay extra shipping charges. Otherwise, everything is free. Uh, and uh, let us know. Well, we'll pick the 
winner, and then once you pick the winner, then you let us know what size you want, and we'll get a tank out to you. This is, I believe he just makes for gasoline-powered planes, so if you fly a gas-powered engine, uh, he's got some really, really nice-looking fuel tanks uh, that, that are made here in the USA. All right. Well, that was nice of him. Thank yeah, you for pulling nice. that together. He was a nice guy. I had a good, good time talking with him, and hopefully we'll cross paths again in the future. He did mention there's a, an event that he he um, holds, um, Superfly. Have you heard of that, Lee? Curtis Mayfield, 1970 or 69. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not it, huh? Not that Superfly, no. <laughs> uh, no, I do not. Uh, I thought okay. Greg had the answer, really. <laughs> uh, the other Superfly. <laughs> <laughs> Give a, me credit for remembering. Goes. What's that? Give me credit for remembering Curtis Mayfield. No, that's good. You get good, much <laughs> much credits. Plus ten thousand for style for remembering that. <laughs> so, anyways, it was a good event. I had a lot of fun. It was a nice little three hour drive. Not too much of a problem. So uh, they say they have a float fly there too, which looks like a great place to have a float fly. So uh, the next time they do have one, I may pop out there for that as well. Right. Do you have floats for the beaver? Uh, no, but he's supposed to be developing floats. It has the hard points mounted in the fuselage, so oh, okay. I need to look on his website, see if he's finished them. Last time I looked, they were still in development, but that would be nice. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Lee, you got anything? I went and saw my friend, a uh, guy named Fitz Walker at uh, SCOBY. Mm. He can't be trusted. I got yes. I got this call from this guy named Fitz. He said, "Hey, psst, buddy, come meet me out at Scoby. Noon, be there. Bring your camera. Be there, turn Fitz." Yes, uh, we had another photos video session for the Chuck Cub. So and, what's uh, the wingspan on that thing again? One hundred and two inch. <laughs> That's a pretty like, good cub. It's like little brother to the that Pawnee. Yeah, it's it's a big mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump just right ahead. My favorite part was someone when you were flying, someone behind me said, That guy's flying a kite over the runway. It's so windy. <laughs> you had your flaps down, it just sat there. <laughs> yeah. It was huge. It was neat though. Go ahead. So, so, yeah, um Lee's absolutely right. We are the whole point of going out was to play with the flats the flaps and the slats. It has leading edge slats. And uh, the last time I had was out there, we had linked the slats to the flaps, as they say, in the manual, but I wasn't quite happy with how they performed. So I decided to disconnect the slats and lock them into place, lock them in the down position. And that worked much better. And then I decided to uh, really go for broke, and I loosened the slats so they would be free-floating, just like the real plane, and see how that worked. Did you see the red flags just popping up? <laughs> so is the idea that they'll deploy at a, or they'll retract at a given airspeed? Well, they, they normally are retract. I guess we'll, we'll call the retracted position the normal flight position. So they'll be retracted in a normal flight position for most of the flight. The key is when you slow down and you pull the nose up to get into a high alpha, they're, the, they're supposed to kind of pop up a little bit with the airflow. The same and, on both sides, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. And mostly they did, except for one time they didn't. But uh, I was way high when I was experimenting with this. So, And I had a camera on board, too, so I can take a look afterwards to see what's going on. Because it, it, it didn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between 
locked in place and free floating. Um, I think I could probably fly just a touch slower when they were free floating. But it also had, if you really force it into the stall, it had a harder break in the stall. That makes sense. And Lee saw it. It, it, it went kind of into a big a spiral for a second when, it, when I did a real aggressive stall on it. Loosey goosey. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, <laughs> but it don't a lot of airplanes have passive slats? Uh, yeah, like the A4 has ones that pop out, and so does the BF-109. Yeah, I think the ME-262. I didn't know if anything more modern had. The modern, most modern thing I know is the A4, unless Greg or, or Lee knows something more modern than that. Well, that's not much more modern than a ME-262. <laughs> hey, 60s versus 40s. It was designed in the early 50s. Well, okay, <laughs> good point. Uh, so, but it was a really interesting experiment with that. You know, I was still able to land really slow, uh, with the, with the loose, the free floating slats and really touch down in like less than the plane length. I mean, Lee can account for how quick it can take off and land with flaps. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, also with what, 10 mile an hour plus winds, but yeah, it took off in like two feet. <laughs> this is great. But he also, uh, I'm just. I'm speaking for Fitz because he actually called me on it, but he put a, uh, a Mobius camera on top and aimed it at the slats. And he tells me that they were, they were moving about, you know, with the camera. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that footage. Huh. Did the footage come out okay with a paint mixer up front? Yeah, not too bad. There's a, when I'm at full throttle, it's, it's mixing the paint pretty good. But fortunately when I'm doing a stall test and slow speed, it's, it's, the idle is pretty relatively smooth. Okay. So it's a uh, gas plane. Yeah, it's got a, a 40cc twin-cylinder gas engine in it. Oh, nice. Uh, but it does have options for electric as well. You can put an um, equivalent size electric, and it has a, uh, provisions for a mount and a battery uh, tray in there as well. Well, I'll say something sacrilegious from the guy with my background, but you know, I th- it's always been my thought, and I've done a lot of giant-scale electrics, but you kind of hit a tipping point where, yeah, you can fly it as an electric, but they're really better with a gas engine. Yeah. There's a point of diminishing returns, I think. Yeah. yeah. Financially and power-wise. Well, yeah. The complexity of the electronics involved and all that sort of thing. I think. That's but, true, yeah. you got multiple battery packs and a big motor and a lot of power. Yeah. Uh, this came out nice because the twin cylinder fits in a cowl real nicely. So you look at the two holes and you got the engine in there. It looks, It makes it look really nice. Real well, it's got to sound great. Yeah, it does. It does a, has a really nice growl to it. Do you feel like the twin cylinder runs more smoothly than your average single cylinder? Oh gas yeah, engine? yes, it's noticeably smoother. That was my first my first thing I noticed when I started it up. It's like wow, the thing doesn't sound like it's going to shake itself apart like the single <laughs> cylinder and ones I've had. <laughs> and yet it did drop an engine standoff. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did have a problem with one of the standoffs loosened up, um, but since I used red Loctite instead of blue Loctite, it hasn't been a problem. That's good. So I think that's what it was. I think uh, some of the heat was migrating into the, the down the screws and loosening up the red, the blue Loctite. I think that was the key. Gotcha. So, so it's been Wait, a fun is, project. Yeah, go ahead. This is a magazine review you're working on? Uh, yes. Well, it's it'll be a magazine review, and I'll do YouTube, my YouTube channel, um, build video and flight video as well. Okay. Double dipping. It's a double so, header, that, yeah. So does that mean no teasers? Well, there's a teaser already of it. Of the maiden flight. Well, that's a big tease. Oh, well, right. Okay. Right now, working on the build video, I'm trying to finish it up. 
Um, it's quite a bit longer and more complicated than I thought it would be. To the point my computer is kind of choking a little bit, what it usually doesn't do. I was just going to say, my job is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lee took some great photos, so those will be in the magazine, the still pictures. And uh, the video stuff, of course, of the flight will be in the, in the flight video eventually. You know, I'd love for that picture to be on the cover, because then I'd have two of my buddy's airplanes on the cover of Model Aviation. So cross our fingers. Cool. Right. It's always nice getting a cover anyway. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll just send him my ugly mug. <laughs> it's Lee. <laughs> Denied. <laughs> so speaking of making videos, I have a story to share. I This past weekend, I was shooting some shop video for uh, Dubro, and I did two separate sessions, a little on Saturday, a little on Sunday. Then I went to upload everything Sunday night and realized that I had not plugged in my lapel mic for either <laughs> session. So, so yeah. silent film's a real art. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I am not Chaplin. <laughs> That'd be great. Put it, do it in black and white, and then have a little text screen every. Yeah. <laughs> little piano music. I like yeah. I like Greg's thinking. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. I should try that. But uh, yeah, so I ended up reshooting it all last night, and I said some bad bad words when I realized what I had done. But we didn't record it because your mic was not plugged in. Well, Terry, I feel you pain because I did pretty much the same thing the other night. I recorded uh, all the audio for my build video, uh-huh. and I had plugged a mic into the wrong jack. Oh, no. so and this was an unusually long one, so it was like a half hour worth of audio. Oh, uh, I was and- not happy. And the worst scenario is if you're doing a build video and it's some part of the build you can't reverse, like something you glued into place and you can't recreate it. Oh, well, yeah. Well, this is just audio, so I'm doing this is post-production. But if oh, I, just like, I got yeah. you. It's the voiceover stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. I shot a whole review video one time without the SD card and the camera, and I didn't have the settings in the camera set, so it would not allow me to do that. <laughs> so we went out, we did two flights and everything. We kind of had horrendous conditions. And my buddy says, well, he says, you get everything you need? And I said, yeah, I'm sure I do. You know, we're packing up. And I realized no SD card in the camera. So uh, since oh, then, I've made sure all my cameras are set that they will not allow me to, to do that. <laughs> you and Terry should compare notes to find out if y'all use the same words after you came up with that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, <laughs> there were probably I, some similar ones. Yeah. Yeah. My vocabulary gets very colorful in those instances. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway. Yeah, who's going to cry for us? Yeah. <laughs> Reviewer's blues. All right. Um, do you guys have any other stories? No, not really. Uh, I should mention I'll be going up to Small Steps. This oh, weekend. that's right. Speaking of cool events. So when do you leave? I will leave hopefully Thursday morning. All right, you're driving up? I am driving up. It's funny you mention that because there's a good chance I'll be taking a rental car because my car is in the shop and I don't know if it'll be ready by tomorrow. Is that still or again? Uh, Again, well, it was in the shop and then I needed it for the weekend, so I took it out because we're ordering parts for it and then I put it back in on Monday and it depends how fast they can get the stuff put in. Make sure the rental car has a trunk big enough to stuff Lee into. (laughs) (laughs) Take him up there uh, with you. Is that the event that Randy Randolph used to put on years ago? Yes, That's it is. One. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good event. I went to one 
early. <laughs> you know, he was such a neat guy. So that was that was his love putting on that meet. Uh, it's still going. Uh, they've had to rearrange the, um, the the schedules this year, but uh, it's right. they're having a I guess a small uh, a fall small they're calling it, uh, which awesome. is nice because last time Lee and I went up in the summer, it was we it almost melted us into a puddle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like there's going to be a whole lot of uh, 049 stuff there, too. There is, including some of the stuff I'm bringing. So, yeah. yeah. And Tony, I think, has a, a whole fleet of stuff. Apparently, he's I think, been prepping. I think he just like rented a, a 18 wheeler to stuff all his 049s <laughs> in. Didn't ship yeah. it out or something. I don't know what he's doing. Well, like I said, you need to don't go get a car and get something big, buddy. Come on, splurge. Well, have you, fun, man. Well, actually, um, the the rental agreement I have is basically I just go up and pick a car. So hopefully they'll have a wagon or a SUV or something I can take. They usually do. Well, there you go. So yeah, have I, fun. I will endeavor to do so. How's the forecast look? I thought they said it was looking pretty good, but I haven't right. looked. I don't commit anyways. Are you still going to stay at the same shady motel? It's not shady. It's just come no on frills. In. Come All on right. in. <laughs> hey, they give you a discount. There's so we a bunch of us guys there. Right. What, if they change the sheets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually. <laughs> After someone dies. <laughs> when they have to. It was okay. There's like restaurants around and uh I think Tony and um uh um uh Tom will be there. I think even our buddy uh Richard will show up as well, I think so. So uh, for those who don't know Tony Accurso, Tom Blakeney, Richard Ng, I presume. Yeah, Richard Ng, yeah. Okay. Well good. That's uh high class list of uh, attendees yeah and you know whoever else shows up so i'm looking at the weather the winds look good it might be a little cloudy on saturday um oh a little cool look at that 63 degrees man don't trust a weekend forecast on tuesday that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> you probably have a tropical storm the way your luck's been running down yeah there. really <laughs> I yeah. look forward to your your post, Fitz. Hopefully, you have a you know maybe a Wi-Fi on oh, a Wi-Fi a cell signal out there, and you can uh, maybe do a live. If not, send some pics. I I mean, okay. I had a great time except for the heat. I mean, it's like yeah. you know just trying to to survive. <laughs> That's not <laughs> yeah. fun for an RC event. Um, but I I'm sorry I can't make it this year. Uh, hopefully, things will look up next year. And I mean, I'm still gonna hope to say that Fitz and I will get to go to Neat next year. So let's yeah. try to put yeah. that on our schedule. Well, then and you maybe, can shove Greg in the trunk. I was gonna, the there you yeah. go. I was about to say, Greg, if we're going to come up there, you should join us. Come hang out with us. Yeah, I'd like to. We, we may be up headed towards the Gas Bay Peninsula about that time of year. I wouldn't mind making that kind of a stop en route. Well, there you go. Why are we going to New York? <laughs> I've got to drop off a package, dear, <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> or pick up a package, really. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I don't have much to talk about in the way of events, but last time around I talked about the indoor flying sessions that my parks department set up here. And tomorrow night is the final of the six sessions they've arranged for us. And then we have to hand over the facility to the nighttime soccer league 
but uh, it's been. Uh, I know, right? But it's been super. It's a really great space, and yeah. I've uploaded a couple of pictures and videos, so you get kind of a feel for the size of it. It's got a nice tall ceiling, and a, I don't know how big the space is, but it's plenty of room for the stuff I've been flying. So I'm hoping they'll open it back up, especially over the winter, since uh, you know, the regular flying fields will be less accessible then. But uh, it's great. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. And last week I took, it's funny, I keep finding ultra micro planes I forgot I had. And I stumbled across my E-Flight B-25. So with Lee's son, Ryan, on my mind, I took that out and flew it around last week. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It did well. That's the first time I've flown it indoors. And actually the first time I've flown it in New York. So it was uh, good to dust it off. And I don't know what the spacing is on soccer fields. It was probably less than five yards, but I figured the lines were 10 feet apart. So I set the B-25 down and I'm like, all right, I'm going to pretend I'm Doolittle and I'm on the Hornet. I got to take off as you know as quickly as I can. So I just fed it full up elevator and I jammed the throttle forward. And man, that sucker was off in a couple feet. Wow. It did great. Yeah. It did really well. So lots of fun. Nah, I've got to figure out what I'm going to take tomorrow night, but uh, I've got lots of options. So I'm going to make the most of it. And Fantastic. I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably shoot some more video. Oh, yeah. I can see that. So. Hmm. All right. Well, that's all I got. All right. You got anything coming up, Greg, in your end of town? Nah, not a thing down here, really. We, uh, we did a little indoor flying this year. I'm a little jealous of Terry's indoor fly. Ours is a very small church gymnasium, so we, we tend to crash into a lot of basketball goals and, and everything else. But Each uh, other? Fun. Yeah, in, into each other and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So you've seen me fly. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, no big events. You know, I'd hope to get down to, you know, Nall in the fall, and of course that's canceled. So uh, nothing coming up. We've got a couple maybe small warbird meets it's still up in the air whether they're going to let us have it or not uh because of our our covid numbers here are getting a little crazy again and so they're they're playing with what parks will let us do what so uh nothing nothing on the schedule for me at all a little depressing (laughs) well hopefully that'll change yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, the, you know, our local flying field, I've blown to two clubs here. One's uh, controlled by a town, and they've been pretty good. They shut us down occasionally when they feel like too many spectators are starting to show up from the walking trails and hang out there. But uh, the other field is a, is a privately owned club field out in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and, uh, you know, just nobody even knows we're there, I guess. <laughs> oh. Well, too many spectators seems like a good problem to have. Well, you know, too many people under the, the rules of how many you can have in a certain area, blah, blah, blah. So. Oh, because of COVID, not because yes. they're worried about... Yeah. Uh, State was, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because of our, we're under phase 2.5 or something right now, I guess. But I see. Okay. Yeah. That sort of thing. All right. So. Well, Fitz, I think it's time to take us home. Alrighty then. Uh, sounds like uh, it was a really good session, Greg. It was great to have you. Hey, I appreciate the invite. Hopefully, we didn't scare you off too much. Oh, I'm, I've been scared by a lot bigger people. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, your retirement won't be too scary. Oh, I don't think so. I, you know, I'm leaving it in good hands. When Terry takes over, I just sit back and I'm on vacation at that point. <laughs> 
Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but uh, yeah, Greg, when he talks about retiring, that's he. I presume you only mean the column. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm so, still doing some features and some reviews and things, but uh, the, the monthly or the bi-monthly column and that uh, I gave up the helicopter column a few months ago and uh, finally decided it was uh, time to, to find a, a fresher face with new ideas to, to take over the electric column. And I was just glad that you were willing to do it. And Terry yeah, was it, the best we could find. <laughs> <laughs> Slim pickings. Man, <laughs> But no, I appreciate uh, your invitation to ask me to take over the column, and it was extremely flattering. And I just hope I can maintain the same standards. Oh shoot, <laughs> I'm not even concerned about that. I I've seen enough of your stuff. I've been telling Jay for months. You know, when when it comes time for me to go, I know the guy. I know the guy. I know the guy. And, and he never argued with my assessment. Well, I need to ask for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, welcome to new boss, same as the old boss kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> this magazine ain't big enough for the both of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. All right. Well, look look for Terry in the upcoming issue. Do you know when your first uh, article is coming up, Terry? The first issue. I believe mine is February. February. Okay. The February issue, whenever that shows up in so mailboxes, I haven't Christmas turned it in time. yet. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's that far off. Maybe yeah. sometime uh, in January. It, it'll come out uh, middle of January. Yeah. Okay. So the digital will come out earlier, but about a week before the oh. print usually. So you need to submit something fairly soon then. Uh, November. Yeah. Yeah. I never really understood those whole print schedules and why they. Lag so much, but yeah, I don't know. Nobody gotta, does. They gotta grow the trees or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Well, uh, we'll just wrap things up. Uh, Greg, thanks so much again for coming on. Uh, we Thank hope you. To see you in the flesh sometime in the future. Hope so. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your story, and thanks for flying helicopters in the army. We appreciate your service. Yes. Yeah. And even if it was an accident. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just hit the switch and it turned on. A little happy accident. <laughs> happy accident. Well, I meant the enlistment, but <laughs> we, I knew. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Greg, for joining our show. It was a, it was a joy to listen to you talk about you as a RC lifer too. Again, that's it's. We are doing a lot of electrics. I mean, I know that's what we talk about, and I know Terry was uh, was excited to bring you on. So, I'm looking forward to seeing that Bearcat when you're done. Uh oh! <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping keeping tabs on you. Yep. <laughs> I'll send a picture to the electric columnist if I know him. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Here's my bearcat progress. Uh, all right. Well, I can't add anything to what Lee said. So, uh, everybody, have fun, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts, where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.